Hello and welcome to Building Brand You, the show where we help you to accelerate your success, getting you more clients, more revenue, more business and more opportunities by unlocking your greatest asset, you. My name is Kim Hamer and I'm an international business coach and serial entrepreneur. This podcast is designed for you to help you unlock what you already have and to give you a whole host of tools and techniques that can help you to accelerate your success by building your own brand you. Hello everyone and welcome to this feature length episode of Building Brand You. Today I am really thrilled to introduce to you Jeremy Nicholas. Jeremy adds impact to communications, presentations, and pitches. He helps clients use humor without losing status, damaging their credibility, or causing offense. And he's a regular keynote speaker, MC, and after-dinner speaker, regaling audiences with tales of his long career in BBC News Broadcasting. He runs the online program, Talking Funny for Speakers, as well as mentoring and coaching professional speakers. He's also a recipient of a Sony Radio Award, a New York Academy Award, the Professional Speaking Award of Excellence, and the Badger of Honour Award. Jeremy lives in southwest London with his wife, Jeanette, and dog, Jimmy Chu. I hope you enjoy this fabulous conversation with Jeremy Nicholas. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you today? Morning. I'm really good, Kim. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Um, it's a bit cold and, and grey in, in, in London today, but I think we're all fighting a good fight, aren't we? Absolutely. I've been for a swim. I'm energised. Let's go. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So where I like to start uh, with all my guests, Jeremy, is to give you an opportunity to tell a little bit about your story and, and how you sort of got to now, where you started, all that sort of stuff. So who is Jeremy Nicholas? Tell, him about, tell us about him. Uh, well, I am Jeremy Nicholas, um, I'm very pleased to say. So my background is broadcasting. I like to think of myself as a recovering broadcaster. Um, I had 27 years mainly with the BBC, mainly in news and sport, current affairs broadcasting. Um, I used to present serious programmes like The World Today on the BBC World Service. I commentated a lot on Olympic Games, Paralympic Games, um, lots of radio commentary on sport, and then lots of um, news reporting for television, uh, but typically I would do the feature stories or the and finally, which is the bit at the end of the news that sends you to bed happy and smiling rather than thinking about the murder and politics that all came at the start. So that was my role, just to keep people listening till the end and watching. Um, and now uh, I've evolved from uh, my broadcasting days. Uh, I like to say I've evolved. It's not like I was too old to be on camera anymore. I've evolved <laughs> to a career in speaking, using all those skills that I learned from my years of BBC reporting. But also alongside that, I always worked as a stand-up comedian and an after-dinner speaker and a compare, uh, you know, and particularly with a lot of the funny stuff. So now I specialise in teaching businesses how to use humour uh, in their communication. So it might be presentations, it might be pitches, it might be internal comms but all about having the lighter touch rather than the big old sledgehammer. And I like to help people uh, get more engagement in their communications rather than just all this, blah, 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 this is what we do. And you think, yeah, we don't care. Just tell us something that makes us realise you're a human. So why is humour so important? 
Why do you think that's the key to engagement? Well, we work with people that we know, like and trust, and we like people that we find funny or make us laugh. Um, so that's why I think that it's almost like a superpower. Uh, if you're dealing with someone and they're just very, very serious and very, very logical and very cold, you might think, yeah, I, you know, I need to work with you, but you wouldn't warm to working with them. You wouldn't be pulled towards them. Whereas just a, a slight lightness of touch, just a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of humour, and and then uh, you would much rather work with that sort of person. And also in organisations, it's great for, for team building. If, if you get up on a Monday morning, you think, I don't really want to work with that team then it, if you could put a little bit of humour in. And, and people think humour is like, da-da, jazz hands, comedy, ha-ha-ha. It's not like that. It's just by giving a bit more engagement, a bit more rapport, just looking sideways at things. Just those little water cooler moments where people stand around and, and they'll just talk rubbish. And if you talk rubbish with people, they're people that you're going to want to work with. And, you know, when I say rubbish it, it's not literally rubbish but it's just funny little things that come up and it's the sort of thing where someone says something and something immediately pops into your head which i call the afterthought that's the funny thing so i was i was watching um it was a trailer on bbc the other day for it's a big jazz jazz week or something jazz and they had sebastian coe on Do you remember lord coe the runner sebastian coe and apparently he's a big jazz fan i didn't know that uh, and he said, a day, without, <laughs> a day without jazz is like a day without running. And I said to my wife, oh, sounds quite nice then, <laughs> because I hate running. And yeah. that's the afterthought. It's just the funny little thing. And, and yet often in business, people are scared to do that because they think they won't be seen as professional. But actually, every job I've got, it's because I've done the little thing that I thought, I wonder if I could say that. And as long as you've run a few filters through it and it's not racist, sexist, homophobic, inappropriate, culturally insensitive or anything like that, you're fine. Now, fortunately, I'm not racist, sexist, homophobic or any of those things. So I don't need to run that many filters. But, for example, consciously, in all my years on radio, I made the decision never to swear. And I literally only swear in real life now when I'm watching football and when West Ham are playing badly. And so that has been quite a lot. That's really the only filter that I have to run the swearing one, you know, and I, and that's why I've more or less edited that one out. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I my message to people is if you th if you think oh should I've said that say it. It's almost it's always better to say things and regret them rather than not say them. Think oh, I wonder if I should have said that. Yeah, I, I think uh, what you say is right. It's that water cooler moment. It's not necessarily you know telling jokes or you know being as you say all you know jazz hands and funny ha ha um sometimes it's as you say quite observational it's as you say the afterthought i mean i've just um spent some time uh with some overseas clients that i'd not met in person before i had met some of them on zoom and mm. actually some of those those moments are real icebreakers and they they open up a little bit about who you are mm. as well which i think um is always really helpful rather than it just being you know, all professional Kim or professional Jeremy, you know, we're people. Yeah, if you think of people that you meet on holiday and you mm. have a laugh with, you've mm. got a bond with them for life. You yes. know, you'll send them a Christmas card every year. Yes. Or if you think of your favourite teacher at school, mm. you think that the, I think, if you think of the, the lessons you were good at at school, so I was very good at history and I was very good at English and that's because my history teacher and my English teacher were very funny. Mm. I wasn't very good at physics or biology 
because they didn't make me laugh. And so I didn't enjoy their lessons. I didn't look forward to going along. Now, does, does that mean that in my the particular area where I grew up, that produced a lot more English and history people because the teachers were funny? I don't know. Maybe, or maybe different people laughed at different things. Mm. But mm. if you think, I keep talking about it being a superpower, mm. it's like just a little spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And the, the people that don't like humour think, oh, yes, we see we don't want, want all that sugar. And my thing is, no, but it's a tiny little bit of sugar, but you're getting all that medicine. And the thing is, um, I sound like a drug dealer, but the thing <laughs> is the medicine that may, the, if, you're, if you're dull and you're not putting any humour into your comms and presentations and pitches, people are not taking the medicine in because they've switched off. Mm. They're suddenly on their iPhone or they've decided, well, I'll go and do business with somebody else. Yeah. So yeah. it's it is a real superpower. This, you know, just having that lightness of touch. If you're at an event, a networking event, you know, and you're having a coffee, if you've got something funny to say, people will want to then talk to you. Mm. And but, people will remember you. They might only remember you for the one thing you actually said, but they'll yeah. remember, you know, the man with the red tie, or you know, remember I don't quite remember his name, but remember what he said about that. That was quite funny. It was quite engaging about that. Mm. Yeah. And the, and the presentations that I remember from, and I, because I MC a lot of events, I see an awful lot of presenters and loads of them are rubbish, quite honest. You know, the standard of presentations in business, particularly in the UK, is absolutely rubbish. So if someone just has a little bit of charm and wit about them, you know, you remember it. And and they're, they're the ones that I remember. People that just say something a little bit quirky and you think, oh, yeah, they thought about that. They haven't just delivered the same old slides and stood in front of it and done this. Mm, mm. Or if someone's pitching, you know, if you watch something like Dragon's Den on BBC where people are pitching and they come on and you think, how, how much have they practiced this? And why would they think that's a good thing to say? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny, isn't it? We're all quite... Um... Uh, judgmental and then we get up on stage and do you know such a poor job ourselves well that's the, the thing is people worry about doing it and then they, and then they practice it a little bit and then they worry a bit more and then they come on and it's got they've got a broomstick up their back up the back of their suit or the blouse or whatever and, they, and you just think why are you doing it like that just talk like a human engage yeah. with people on a personal level and 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 there's loads of ways of doing it and if I say put humour in, you might go, oh, no, I don't do that. But if I say put some rapport in, put some engagement in, oh, yeah, I'd like that. Well, yes. that, that can be humour. Yes. It's yeah. just a way of breaking it. And it's, it's one of the reasons on LinkedIn I'm campaigning to get a laughter emoji. Mm. Because if someone writes something on LinkedIn, you can um, celebrate them and you can support them and you could heart them and all of that, those things applaud. But what you can't say is it made me laugh. And what a shame that is. Why not? And I know that link, the LinkedIn stallbooks will say, well, we don't want it to be like Facebook. But what a shame, because LinkedIn, I know it's, it's the business networking site, but it is a networking site. It's not actually where you're doing your business. It, it's where you're, it's the equivalent of the water cooler, where you stand and you might say something quirky. And mm. so why not put that laughter emoji on? But they won't, they won't do it because they, they don't want to be seen to be going like Facebook. That's a shame. What, what could we what could we do? Could we start a petition or something? Well, I've been yeah, I've been could... making videos about it and blogging about it and getting support from yeah, lots yeah. of people, but they won't they won't do it. It's such a shame, isn't it? I mean, why do you think there's so much resistance to the funny stuff? 
in business. Why do you think that is? Because I think people think that they lose credibility when they are funny and they think people won't take them seriously. So it's a bit like um, it goes back to Aristotle when he used to talk about ethos, logos and pathos. And um, ethos is you know, the ethics, how, how, how established your company is, you know, how you operate and everything. The logos is just sort of the logic. And that's what everyone in business uses. Logic, logic. I've got this. You need this. Let's work. And the pathos is something empathy, feeling. So I always think it's like Captain Kirk. You've got to be more Captain Kirk and less Mr. Spock on Star Trek because we're not Vulcans. We're humans. So let's be more. We haven't got to go off and kiss lots of alien women. But, you know, it's just just be like a human, like Kirk reacts in a human way. Yeah. Show a bit of passion. And that's what that's where the human side comes out, really. Yeah, so if, um, for listeners who are, I don't know who this will be, but who are not familiar with the Star Trek series, um, that, that's a bit of a cultural reference for you to go and explore. Be more Kirk, less Spock. That's well, yeah, we like. so when I, and I devised that because I used to talk about ethos, logos and pathos, and people thought, well, I don't know anything about Aristotle and two and a half thousand years ago, and I don't really, but I've read a bit about it. You know, it's not like I studied classics at Oxford or anything. I didn't. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, people looked at me madly when I wrote ethos, logos, and pathos. So I then started talking about Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Bones being the doctor, and so he's the ethos level of it. Yeah, I think everyone knows Star Trek, apart from yeah, those yeah. that like Star Wars. But you know, I always think that's more for children. I was just, just about to say I like both. So what does that say about me? <laughs> and be nice. Well, no, I think I think most people <laughs> like Star Wars to start with, and then when, when they grow up, they move on to Star Trek. Yes. Okay. Like well, both. yeah, it's a, it's a good analogy actually because they're quite distinct three very distinct characters. Do you think they actually wrote the characters with a view of Aristotle's um, ethos, logos, and pathos? No, I don't think so, because if no, they did, then, then that would take away from me having spotted that. So I like to think that's my invention. <laughs> that's your invention. Okay. Yeah, but ideally, if you're dealing with anyone in business, you want a little bit of Kirk, a bit of Spock, and a bit of Bones. Yeah, exactly. But it's so, all, um, ingredients. Yeah, and, but not just, as I see at conferences, Spock, 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 logical, logical, logical. You think, oh, God, give me a bit of Kirk, please. We're dying for some Kirk here. That's, Is there no Kirk in the room? <laughs> that's why there's business for you as, a, as an MC, um, yeah. as a speaker. But I think it's really interesting, isn't it, that everybody does Spock, 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 and then they book someone to bring mm. pathos. Well, that's the thing. And what the reason I often get booked, if I'm emceeing an event, someone will come up to me and go, oh, well, I really like the way you did it because you had authority, but you also had humour. We'd like you to do our event. And, and this will be the booker, the person that's responsible for booking, but they, no, they won't be the ultimate boss. So they'll then book me and then they'll spend all their time worrying that I'm going to be too funny and then their boss won't like it. This happens all the time. We booked you because you're funny, but you won't be funny, will you? You will. That's why. Isn't that why you booked me? Yeah, but you won't be too funny. You won't say anything appropriate. What are you going to say? Tell me what you're going to say. What jokes are you going to do? Well, I can't really tell you what I'm going to say because sometimes they just ping into my head. Oh, you. So you don't know what you're going to say? No, but that's fine because that's what I do. I do I've done daily radio shows most of my life, and it's not all written down. Mm, but mm. people worry about that. So you know, or sometimes at the dinner if i'm speaking at a dinner people say can you just run through some of your lines in there i just want to make sure they're appropriate and i will say no when you booked me that was the thing you know what i was like and i'm going to do that and it's too late to change it now and i can't tell it to you now because what 
you might if if you then decide well that's not very funny you know and and how advanced is your level of (laughs) i probably wouldn't say this i'll probably say a bit more politely but what i'm thinking is i've got a library of about 200 books on comedy i've done shows at the edinburgh fringe i've worked in humor for 20 years before that I've, i've written shows for bbc radio on light entertainment and now someone in accounts who's sitting next to me that's booked me is suddenly worried and they want me to check that you know no because what sort of level are they going to be at? Exactly. So without sounding very arrogant about it, I'm, I go, <laughs> well, no, trust me, I'm fine. And, and what I usually say is people book me when they want someone that's funny like a comedian, but has the authority of a BBC newsreader. And what happens often with a conference, they'll book a BBC newsreader one year and it will run to time and they'll have a lovely voice and everyone will think it's very organised, but a bit dull. So the next year, they'll book a comedian to do it. And the comedian, everyone will love the comedian. And it's very, very funny. But unfortunately, just before the end, he said something absolutely dreadful that offended 10% of the people in the room. And all the feedback forms are saying, never, ever have this man again. So next year, they'll go back to the BBC and they'll flip between serious and funny. And, and I'll say, how about if you've got someone has got the authority of that BBC person, but the humour of that person, but will never, ever go over the line. Wouldn't that be your dream? Yes, it would. And then that's me in the middle. Yeah. And, the, and the great thing is, once you've done a conference as an MC, for example, they'll book you every year, whereas mm-hmm. they won't book you as the keynote speaker every year because they've seen your stuff. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But with an MC, they want a safe pair of hands. So like some award shows I've done six years in a row because they think, oh, yeah, he's funny, but also he won't go too far. Yeah, yeah. And that's and a big thing with humor. Yeah. yeah, that's the big yeah. thing with humor. You mustn't ever go too far. Yeah. And I guess it's also in combination with, you know, you mentioned that safe pair of hands as an MC and that sort of thing. It's kind of bringing a bit of light and shade to the role, but also doing the things that need to be done in terms of, you know, moving people on when they need to be moved on, handling, you know, stuff goes wrong, you know, to have an MC Mm. that can kind of handle all that with a bit of a plomb is quite a gift, I think. Well, that's why I actually like it when things go wrong because I know that I can cope better than most if it goes wrong. Mm. And I'll say something funny in the moment, or I'll do an improvised little bit to fill. And um, most people won't be able to do that. And I'm not very slick. I don't get much better with rehearsals, but I'm quite good to start with. And I'm quite good off the cuff and I can think very quickly. Mm. Um, So I'm not saying that I deliberately make things go wrong, but when they do, I go, oh, this is good. (laughs) <laughs> and then afterwards, they go, oh, you did well there when that thing. And I'm, I'm not saying that I've ever deliberately unplugged things or fused. I'm not saying that. But if I had, that would a bit that would help my career. Yeah, I, I, I think my 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 cortisol levels have just risen a bit. I'm wondering what's going to go wrong now for the rest of this, this conversation. But once I was intro- I was at, doing a conference and it was a very fancy one. And the the entertainment so we'd had I'd been the MC all day, then there'd been a dinner, and then there was a band coming on to entertain the people, and the band were 10cc. You know, that's quite good, isn't it? But there were, but actually there was only two of them playing guitars. It was half of them, so it was 5cc. So that was that was my funny line that I'd scripted, and everyone enjoyed that. But unfortunately, 10cc weren't ready. They'd only just arrived and they were still getting changed. And I'd been told to go on, and then from the side, they were doing that fill thing, which is when you're flipping your hands over like that, you know, keep going. Uh, so I didn't really know what to do and I could see a book on the lectern which was my book and I thought right what I'll do is I'll do an impromptu competition to give away this book and I said who'd like to win one of my books and they were and I made up some questions on the spot two people came up 
uh, and then we asked the question and then one of them won my book and I said right you've won a copy you've won one of my books and here it is it's Frederick Forsyth Day of the Jackal I've just finished reading it because I had I always have a novel with me to calm me down before I go and I always read a novel and it was there and I thought that's that and uh, they loved that so much so that I then looked across 10cc still weren't ready so I said, right, who'd like to win one of my DVDs? <laughs> because I knew I also had a DVD. I think it was a James Bond <laughs> in there. And I did the same joke. Uh, who'd like to win one of my DVDs? And again, they thought it must be one that, uh, of me performing or something. And it wasn't. It was James Bond. And I did that. And then eventually, fortunately, because I had everything else in, I had in my bag was of value and I didn't want to give it away. <laughs> 10cc were eventually ready. And a speaker came up to me afterwards, another professional speaker at the same event, and he said, I really liked what you did with that books thing. Do you mind if I use that? And I said, yes, I do. Because I've just thought of that. I, in the moment, and this was, I don't know, 15 years ago. Mm. Under pressure, I thought of a thing. Who'd like to win one of my books? They think it's a book I've written. It's not. It's a book I've just finished reading. And that's a funny thing. Yeah. I don't then want other people to start doing that. That's my right. thing. You know, I didn't write it. I just thought of it in my head. Mm. But now I do it a lot. Well, there's, there's probably something in the whole thing of gem IP or something like that. You know, yeah, I don't know kind if you of like can... owning your stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think you can really copyright a, a, a filling yeah. in fairly weak idea. It's a fairly lame joke, but but really funny. <laughs> but it's it's funny for the it's funny it's funny because the person that's won it is so excited, and there's been loads of hands up. We've got it down to two. Then one of them's won, and they're yeah, I've got I've won one of his books, and then it's just. I mean, and the fact that it was Frederick Constant. <laughs> and it's an old book. And old, not even, you know, it's just one I picked up in a charity shop, yeah. read it, and then I would take it back to a charity shop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was pre-Kindle days. This was about 15 years ago. Yeah. That's the trouble yeah. now. I'd have to give them my Kindle. <laughs> exactly. And the, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of books on there, I'll bet, if it's anything like yeah. my Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just little like people still talk about, you know, I, oh, you do that thing with the books, don't you? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's the thing, isn't it? You become known for Yes. Yeah. And on the one hand, by doing it on a podcast like this, uh, now I run the risk of other people start doing it. Mm. But also I'm anchoring it. I've been doing that 15 years. So if you do do it, you'll know that. Oh, doesn't Jeremy Nicholas do that? Yes, yeah. I think he does. Yes, yeah, I, think, I think he does. I, I think he invented he that. And every other device you've ever seen, I think he probably did invent. Exactly. Exactly. I, we've been talking a lot about invention today. Mm. Like, you know, there's... Um, ethos, logos, pathos. You know, we've we've established that. Well, you I didn't invented, invent that. That's, that you that's invented the link. To, that's to literally Trek. Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago, before yeah. patents were even. Around. Yeah, but, and before Star Trek was yeah. in existence. Star so. Trek, I didn't invent. And if I had yeah. invented Star Trek, one thing I would say is don't send Kirk and Spock and Bones all down to the alien planet at the same time in a party of six people. <laughs> There's like two thousand on the ship. Why send the three most important ones all together? Yeah, yeah. Along you want with to split three, that out. Yeah, and then they'll send them down with three blokes in red tops who are security people, and they are the ones that always die. It's never the three main ones. I think. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't run that. There's no way to run a business the way they run the enterprise. I mean, no, exactly. They would go bankrupt within years. Well, within weeks, probably, mm. I, would, I would imagine. Um, but anyway, um, what um, I wanted to uh, chat a little bit with you about is, you know, the last year has been tough for speakers, hasn't it? You know, mm. there's not been a lot of live events and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, there's there's been 
a lot happening in the virtual space, but not in the same way for speakers. And so how have you adjusted to kind of working in this, this virtual world? What have, what have you reached out and been able to do? Yeah, so one thing I found is that conferences work okay virtually, but they're not as good. Um, and the fees are not as good because um, they can't charge as much for people to go to events. So they won't pay the speakers as much. And so I just drew a line in the stand, sand and said, this is what my fee is in real life. This is my fee virtually. And when they've tried to knock me down from that, I said, no. Mm. Um, yeah. So typically my virtual fee would be 25% off the real life fee. Okay. But you know, when they start saying, oh, can we do it for half? I'll, I'll just say no, because I think it's the same amount of effort that goes into it intellectually, even though you're not flying anywhere. Yes. Yeah. So, that, you know, there is that advantage. Um, I have quite enjoyed speaking all over the world from southwest London. That's been quite nice and sleeping in my own bed, which is very comfy compared yeah. to you know some of the hotels I've stayed in in the world. So I've liked that. Um, in terms of using humour virtually, which obviously, if that is my superpower, mm-hmm. then doing virtual stuff, that's like kryptonite to Superman. It takes away your superpower a bit. Because mm. you can't see, you can't react with people. You can't, you can see them laughing, but you perhaps can't hear them because everyone's muted. Um, and if you're looking at a screen of, say, say if it's on Zoom or something and there's 49 squares, <coughs> excuse me, um, you can see people smiling, but you can also see, you know, people just head down and you think, are they making notes or are they making a shopping list? You don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I do, humor stuff, is feeding off the audience. So if, if I see someone laughing, I'll focus on them a bit more, or perhaps throw them a question. You can't do any interaction like that. You can do interaction in the chat boxes, but then what happens is you find that the people in the chat boxes start replying to each other, and then you think, are they still listening to you? Um, mm. So I will use polls a lot in um, virtual presentations, yep. uh, and I'll put humor in that. So if there's a choice of four answers there'll be three sensible ones and the fourth one might just be a, an obvious funny line yeah. uh, as a way of putting some humour in. And then another way to put humour in uh, in the virtual world would be funny pictures, mm-hmm. which require no ability to present. You've just got to find them. So I'll always have my smartphone with me and I'll take pictures of any funny signs I see, any street names, any weirdly dressed people. I'll take pictures and I'll put them in my presentations. Um, and even though you can't, I think the, the great thing to remember when you're doing any virtual presentation is you're going to get nothing back. So just accept that. And a lot of people very cruelly have said to me that I'm good at virtual presentations and humor stuff because I'm used to not hearing people laugh. <laughs> Isn't that mean? That's very rude. That's very are, are rude. Are these people your friends? <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, no, I think it, it, it's a jokey thing, you know, you, but if you are in any way worried, you know how some people are quite needy. If they try something funny, they need everyone to laugh. Mm. And uh, the sort of people that go, didn't you find that funny? Don't you think that's good? Don't you think that's brilliant? No. But, if you're a needy person and you try virtual humour, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to get nothing back. So you've just got to trust that your material is funny 
trust that it's a funny picture trust that this poll will make them laugh and keep your head down and just do it yeah yeah and I sometimes think, oh, that didn't go very well. And then afterwards, I'll get fantastic feedback from people. I think, well, of course, I wasn't getting anything because their microphones weren't on. Yeah. Or their videos aren't on. There's this yeah. whole thing about we're, we're trying to build that out in some of the, the corporates at the moment and kind of it's all about showing up. And we yeah. say, turn your video on. You know, and also, you- if, you're, if you're at a comedy club... Hmm with some friends having a drink and some, something funny on the stage, you're going to laugh. And the reason you laugh is because you want to be one of the first ones in your group to show that, oh, I, I identify that as a funny bit because I'm yeah. quite clever. Yes, yeah. But if you're, if you're in your home office watching someone present and you're on your own, so you haven't had a drink, it's in the daytime, <laughs> and there's no one around to impress by the fact that you've got it quicker than they have, um, you're not going to laugh. In the same way, you know, if, if I'm on the tube reading a book, a funny book, I don't laugh out loud. Oh, Whereas if I'm, if I was watching uh, a comedy show on BBC, like Live at the Apollo with some friends, I would laugh out loud. If I was on my own in the house watching it, I wouldn't laugh out loud. Think about why we do that. Yeah. So laughing's a bit, I don't know whether competitive is the right word, but it's about positioning. A little bit, yeah. There's some people that will only laugh if somebody else laughs. Mm because they're not quite sure why it's funny. There's some people that will laugh at anything. I'd say about 10% of people will laugh at anything, really. Yeah, and because yeah. I have a reputation for doing funny presentations, sometimes I'll do quite a serious one and people will laugh and I think, okay, that's not okay. funny. And they've just got used to the rhythm of what I'm saying and my voice and I'm smiling and they think, oh, it must be funny. I better laugh. Yeah, exactly. I want to be ahead of the game. So 10% will laugh at anything. 10% won't ever laugh whatever you say. They'll, you know, they'll just... He analytic, oh yes, I think I oh right, I see. Oh yes, that's very clever. But they won't let their face in any way know. And then the other 80% in the middle, they're the ones you've got to target. And they will uh, a lot of people only laugh if somebody else laughs first. Mm. And it's like a bit of a fire that starts. Like a, if you think if you're having a barbecue, you've got to have some fire starters on there, little paraffin blocks or whatever, to get the coals alight. And yep. uh, but you would never get the coals alight by trying to light them you know if you put a match on those coals they're not going to and that, that's what most people are so the 10 percent, they're the little fire starters that get the thing going yeah that's why with anything humorous you want people really close together because if you think when you spread your coals out on the barbecue you still want to keep them touching each other otherwise mm. the heat gets Nothing. lost yeah so they need to so that's why um if you're ever doing anything if you're doing a conference and there's 200 chairs and there's only 30 people, you want to block off the back rows so that they've all got to sit together because then they're more likely to engage and Ooh. laugh. If they're all spread out, then they won't do anything. Yeah. Okay. So that's how just, we are in the virtual world. People are too, you know, people are just, just too on their disparate, own. aren't we? Too disparate, yeah. 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 Um, so you've been um, speaking on uh, engaging in humour and, and talking funny. Uh, nice segue into um, what you've been doing over lockdown. We've known each other for a little while and mm. I know that um, you do a couple of different things with people in terms of adding humour um, yeah, to so what they do. Yeah, yeah so the, the options really, the, the one that's really taken off in lockdown is my Talking Funny for Speakers programme. So this used to be a one-day masterclass that I would do live, uh, a proper event with sandwiches and everything. 
used to be on the Bayswater Road, top end of Hyde Park. It was lovely. Of course, that all went. Uh, so I turned it into a six-week online program, uh, made it bigger with 12 five-minute videos to watch, each one with a different technique on how to be funny. So it might be something like I mentioned the afterthought, where you just say that funny thing that immediately comes into your head, or it might be using triples where you say a normal thing, a normal thing, and then a weird thing. It's a bit like three men going to a pub type thing, normal, normal, weird setup pattern, reinforce pattern, subvert pattern. That and, and there are templates for comedy that people don't realize. They think people are comedians are making it up as they go along. They're not. There's set things. And so I teach 12 of those with five minute videos each. And then we have a Zoom call once a week. We have an online mastermind group. Um, and then once a week, I, I analyze a TED talk that uses humor and explain why the techniques that they've used there. Mm. Uh, and there's always an exercise each week to do. So that's worked really well, the Talking Funny program. Um, then there's one called Tickle My Keynote, which is where people, I can't be bothered to come to your six week thing, Jeremy. I don't want to learn how to be funny. I just want to be funny. I want you to write me some funny things. So the Talking Funny is teaching you how to speak German. The other one is having translated into German for you. And that's more of a premium product. Tickle my keynote. People either send me a video or a script and I'll write 20 funny lines for them and send it back. And then we'll have a, a Zoom call to discuss how they can put that in. And that's gone really well, except it goes very well with corporates, but with professional speakers who probably half my people I write for are professional speakers. They've all lost all their conferences. The corporate people are still doing lots of internal things, so they still want me to do that. So Talking Funny has gone really well. Tickle My Keynote will pick up once the speaking business gets back on track. And then uh, the one that I've been doing lately, because I had a few inquiries about doing stuff about resilience and wellness, and that's not really my area. So I came up with a thing called Funny Business, which is how to use humour as almost like a wellness product in that it gets rid of your stress because all the chemicals, the feel good chemicals, the dopamine. I came up with a funny line about don't be dopey. Don't be mean, you know, release those feel good chemicals. Uh, it's good for team building. And um, I've done a lot of improvisational comedy and I've done improv classes for years. And uh, I did one just before lockdown. I did one in Amsterdam, which was an improv class because they specifically, they'd had me for, for presentation skills and, uh, they've heard that it'll be good for team building and i said yeah you can do that and i've evolved that into a, a one-hour session i do virtually and I'll, I'll do it at conferences when they open up again but just how humor is a superpower with the team building with the bonding with the relieving stress with getting people to want to come to work more yeah so yeah, yeah they're my big, big things talking funny tick on my keynote and funny business excellent i love it um you know, we were just talking before we came on to the onto the show about the there's, there's a real need for for resilience it's being talked about in a lot of organizations in terms of well-being and I think it's not just that we're coming out of a particularly difficult period with the COVID pandemic and all of that sort of thing but also that until COVID came along we all but ignored it and kind of everybody was okay and I think it feels like um, the pandemic has shone a bit of a light on actually how we take care of people and how we take care of ourselves and sort of put stuff in the resilience bank, if you like. But when things go wrong, you, you know, if you're sort of building that bank of feel good and resilience, that that all all helps. So do, has there been more demand for that, do you think, lately than there was before COVID? Yeah, I think so. I think um, that people have realised that 
it's it's tough for people at the moment and with everyone being so diverse and spread out and they're missing that human contact that they need to work on um those sort of soft skills i, th- I think people have fallen out of the habit of just chatting to people mm. you know i i had a chat with a a group the other day and a lot of them were saying that they're they're a bit worried about coming out of lockdown and having to interact with people and how will they cope mm. and will it be it will be so noisy and will they mm. have the energy will they mm. have the energy to get on a bus and a train and go to an airport and things like that yeah yeah so I, I i think we do need to look after people at the moment and i'm finding certainly that this is in the learning and development area and in, and with the hr teams that this is what they need at the moment mm. the, the resilient stuff and just helping people cope yeah because yeah. i think the we it'll be a while before we realize the full mental health impact on people of the pandemic yeah i agree and i think um there's also that you know, we underestimate that we've been disconnected um, mm. for for over twelve months now, and I'm finding that there's there's some yeah you're right there's some concern and maybe even some re- resistance about not just about going back into the office because we've found flexibility, but that actually I've lost the habit of small talk of chatting at the water cooler of you know I don't I, you know I don't know how to do that anymore or I'm uncomfortable doing it or that sort of thing. So there's a little bit of p- the piece too about I think learning to reconnect and, and re-engage with each other, uh, mm. whether whether that you know has to stay a little bit more virtual than it was before the pandemic, or whether that's actually you know getting together. You know, I've just been out um, overseas with three cli- uh, three workshops with clients, and it I have to say it was a joy to be in a room with people again, all socially distanced and all that sort of thing, but. I'd underestimated how much I missed it and how much energy comes from it. But you could see people were slow to reconnect. And as the day went on, it got smoother. So I think there's lots that you say about, you know, reconnecting, um, resilience. And as you say, you know, using that light touch, using a bit of fun and humour to actually that let's at least have a bit of a smile about the situation. How can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people have reacted very differently. Lots of fairly introverted people have actually quite enjoyed just mm. being on their own. Mm. And the extroverts have been going crazy because they their energy comes from being around people. Yeah. Uh, whereas the introverts get tired out by being with people. So they've mm. actually quite liked being able to control their lives. And I'm, I think I'm probably quite introverted in that if I'm with a whole room of people for a day, I'm worn out and I, like, mm. I need a bit of quiet time. Mm. But then when I've got too much quiet time, I then want to get back in with the people. Yeah. But yeah. I've never quite understood in the work situation when people, you have a whole day working with people and then they say, let's go for a drink now. And you think we're going to sit with the same people and talk about the same stuff. Why would we want to do that? Exactly. I'm, I'm a bit tired now. I'd like some, some unpeopling time, I call it unpeople time. Yeah. Uh, so we've been talking for about sort of 40, 45 minutes and just in, in sort of revisiting you know, what we've talked about and humour and all, all, all of that sort of thing. What's one takeaway or one message you'd like to offer um, the Building Brand You uh, listeners today? Sorry, Kim, it's completely frozen now. Oh, no. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I'll ask ah, right, the question. Yeah, you yeah. come back. It went very, very slow. What would you oh. like? <laughs> I thought, what? Just actually <laughs> leave that in the recording. I'm not even going to edit that out, you know. 
this is what we talked about earlier, wasn't it? You know, about something going wrong and being a bit funny yeah. about it. Um, but anyway, um, where I was going, yeah. we've been talking for about 40, 45 minutes so far um, about all sorts of different uh, things. What's one takeaway or one learning you'd like to leave um, with building brand new listeners today? So I think the, the thing to remember with humour, and, and I keep talking about humour because that's my thing, um, with humour, it's something you can learn. It's not something you are born with. And people always say, oh, I'm just not funny. So typically on my Talking Funny programme, I have eight people come along and I would say half of them think they're funny and half of them say they're never funny, but they want to see if they can learn. And, it, and it's the ones that say they're not funny they're the ones I can work with the best because everyone can be funny. It's like a, thinking that a baby is born speaking German. I know I keep talking about Germans, yeah. but um, it's, it's, you know, it, just because you're born in Germany doesn't mean you can speak German. You have to learn it. And there are rules to it. And there are rules to humor and there are rules to comedy. And there are techniques that I can teach anyone that will get a guaranteed laugh. And people say, Oh no, I, I can't. I'm just not funny. And I know by the end of the six week program, they'll be doing it just how i say it and i say no no that doesn't work because there those words are slightly in the wrong order you've got to put the funny bit at the end and then stop and then pause and then wait and no you can't put those little bits after that it literally is very very technical mm. and i'm not very serious about anything apart from humor and no 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 that won't work no that's it's not funny try it again no do it like this no you're going too fast no because you haven't set that up and if if something's not funny there's always a reason it's because you haven't set it up right the punchline's slightly wrong it's like when i was a kid one of my favorite jokes was you know those those books that you could have like haunted house by hugo first and it's the joke is that the, the author's name is something funny to do with it and it was in my comic I used to read the Beano when I was 10. And my favourite one of these funny book titles was uh, 50 Years in the Saddle by Captain Sawbum. And I thought this was hilarious, but it was mainly because it had the word bum in and for 10-year-olds, Sawbum is funny. But then I heard a big boy in the playground telling the same joke. It was 50 Years in the Saddle by Major Bumsaw. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's better because it's made your bum sore, isn't it? Captain Sawbum literally isn't funny. And it's the same with most lines. If you... It's, if it's not exactly right, not clear enough, it's not funny. So anyone can be funny. Don't come to me saying, oh, the trouble is, Jeremy, I'm not funny. Or the trouble is, Jeremy, I speak about quite serious things. See, I talk, I'm an accountant, so there's not really much humour there. I think, no, there's humour in everything. I've, I have written funny lines for eulogies at funerals where people are saying goodbye to someone they really love and they want it to be funny. Well, yeah. you can be funny about anything just as long as it's appropriate. Yeah. And on that note, if people want to come to you and tell you that they're not funny, could you help them? Uh, how would they how would they find you? So they find me on LinkedIn. My name's Jeremy Nicholas. Nicholas has an H in it, um, somewhere near the middle. Um, or my website, jeremynicholas.co.uk is um, the best place. And it's on there, on the coaching page, you can see when all of my dates are for my courses. So I've got uh, the next Talking Funny scene in September, uh, right through to 2022. I've got the dates in there for when they are. Wow. And um, is that the same place that people would go to find out more about uh, humour uh, as the uh, superpower, funny business? 
so everything is all in one place on my website all the different options the talking funny the tickle my keynote the funny business they're all there and there's loads of videos so you can look at me and think well he's not remotely funny why would i want to go to him (laughs) (laughs) i think there's also something a bit self-deprecating about your humor mr nicholas (laughs) that is the thing it's the joker up your sleeve if you're ever in trouble if you're not getting a laugh just turn it on yourself Mm. Because people will more like to laugh if you're having a joke at your own expense. Yeah. Yeah. As an Australian, I support that fully. Brilliant. Um, Listeners, we'll put um, all of that information uh, about how you can get in touch with Jeremy, a little bit more about him in the show notes. Um, But there's only one thing left for me to say, and that's really thank you for joining us today and talking funny and talking about humour as a superpower and just generally doing a whole lot of funny business. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Building Brand New podcast. I'm Kim Hamer. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And for all the latest news and tips, become a member of the brand new Building Brand New Facebook group. I help people to accelerate their success by unlocking their greatest asset. If you'd like to find out more, please book in for a free 20-minute coaching call at calendly.com forward slash Kim Hamer forward slash BBY chat. Accelerate your results by unlocking your greatest asset, you.